Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. This episode of Your Torah is sponsored by Yeshivat Maharat, the first institution to ordain women as Orthodox clergy, and where Jofa UK's founder, Dina Brower, is one of 28 students. This June, she will be joining the 19 women already ordained and working in the field of Jewish communal leadership. Welcome to Jofa UK's Your Torah podcast project. My name is Rabbah Dr. Carmela Abraham. In addition to receiving my smicha from Yeshivat Maharat, I am also an internist, having done my residency training at the Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. Thank you for joining me today to discuss Tractate Ohalot, Masachet Ohalot. You never forget the first patient whose hand you held while they were dying, or the family member that cried helplessly on your shoulders as their loved one left this world. You never forget the first person you pronounced dead. As a physician who trained in the 1990s during the epidemic of AIDS, before the availability of medicines that have turned that disease into a chronic one today, death was a part of my and my fellow house staff's everyday existence as we tried desperately to save the lives of these patients, but without the effective medicines to do so. I, like my fellow young doctors in the trenches of a New York City hospital besieged with the AIDS epidemic, went into survival mode, just trying to get through every day intact. Looking back, I realize we experienced what psychologists called disenfranchised grief at work, wherein emotions and feelings were discounted, discouraged, and disallowed in the workplace. We young doctors in the face of this epidemic that killed scores of young people our age had no place to process the multiple losses we were encountering on a daily basis. And then one day, I recall many months into my internship, finding one prominent physician sitting in the doctor's lounge with me, with his head in his hands, weeping, saying over and over again, I can't help them. I can't save them. I was surprised at the unexpected show of emotion and yet relieved for permission that he gave to me to grieve in the face of this unrelenting epidemic that we just could not control. For me, the sight of this senior attending weeping was the first sign of life amidst this death, a light for the way forward as I began to process the effect this epidemic had on me personally, religiously, and spiritually. Today we will study Ohalot, literally meaning tense. Ohalot is the second tractate in the order of Taharos in the Mishnah. The discussion is, for the most part, related to impurities conveyed by a dead body, or, believe it or not, parts of dead bodies. As such, some may find the contents of these Mishnayot troubling and disturbing. There are 18 chapters, with the earlier chapters reviewing the ritual impurity conveyed by corpses, and then the later chapters move into causes and sources of Tumah, or impurity, further into the Masechet or Tractate, there are discussions about tents and the technical issues related to impurities in tents and where those impurities are found. And finally, towards the end of the Masechet, in the final chapters, there's a discussion of contaminated dirt and graveyards. 
There is no Gemara for Ohalot in either the Babylonian or Jerusalem Talmud. And some even suggest that the name of this Masachet should be pronounced Ahilot, which means covering, instead of Ohalot, which means tents. That is because the discussion does not only focus on the transfer of Tuma through tents, but through other coverings as well. But first, let us look at the biblical sources that cite these specific laws of impurity, and let us also provide some background. We will start with Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, Parshat Chukat, chapter 19, verse 13. Whoever touches a corpse, the body of a person who has died and does not cleanse himself, defiles the Lord's tabernacle. That person shall be cut off from Israel. Since the water of separation was not dashed on him, he remains unclean. His uncleanliness is still upon him. The following verse, the next verse, 14, and I'll read it in Hebrew. Zolta Torah, Adam ki amut be'ohel, kol ha'bayl ha'ohel, v'kol asher ba'ohel yitma shivat yamim. This is the ritual. Whenever a person dies in a tent, whoever enters the tent and whoever's in the tent shall be unclean for seven days. And verses 15 and 16, and every open vessel with no lid fastened down shall be unclean. And in the open, anyone who touches a person who was killed or who had died naturally or a human bone or a grave shall be unclean for seven days. Based on these biblical prohibitions, Tractate of Oalot is about ritual impurity arising from a dead body. A person or utensil receives ritual impurity from a corpse in the following way. By either touching a corpse, by either carrying a corpse, or by sharing a tent with a corpse. So, for example, if a corpse is under the same roof as a person, utensil, or food, the corpse spreads its impurity to all. If the corpse overshadows a person, so in other words, the corpse is suspended over the person, the impurity descends down to the person, rendering him or her impure. And likewise, if the person overshadows the corpse, the tuma ascends to the person, rendering him or her impure. Halachically, the corpse is categorized as avi avot hatuma, the father of the father of impurities. This is the highest level of impurity. The corpse as avi avot hatuma renders a person who touches it as an av hatuma, a primary source of tuma. This person who has touched the corpse is rendered impure for seven days and must be sprinkled with purification water made with the ashes of the red heifer or the para aduma on the third and seventh days. Hence, this condition is called a seven-day impurity, or tumat shiva. At sunset of the seventh day, this person becomes tahor and is then permitted to enter the Beit HaMikdash, or the temple. Now, a person who touches the first person who had direct contact with the corpse and is not currently in direct contact with the corpse is considered a first degree. So you touch a person who had direct contact with the corpse and has not become pure. Now that person must be purified, but that purification is called an evening impurity, tumat erev. It does not need to wait seven days. So with that background, we can now understand the case of the first Mishnah in the first chapter of Tractate Ohalot. And here it is. Two 
שניים טמאים טומאת שבעה, ואחד טמא טומאת ערב. ארבעה טמאים באמת, שלושה טמאים טומאת שבעה, ואחד טמא טומאת ערב. כיצד שניים? אדם הנוגע במת טמא טומאת שבעה, ואדם הנוגע בו טמא טומאת ערב. If two people become impure from a corpse, one becomes impure for seven days and one becomes impure until the evening. Now, this Mishnah is going to digress to two other cases that it will explain in Mishnah 2 and Mishnah 3 and then re- return back to this first case and explain it. So here it goes. If three people become impure for a corpse, two become impure for seven days and one becomes impure until evening. To understand that, you would need to read Mishnah 2. If four people become impure from a corpse, three become impure for seven days, and then one becomes impure until evening. Again, to understand that, you must learn Mishnah 3. Now the Mishnah goes back to the first case it talked about, to the case of Shnaim Tameim Bameit, Echad Tameh Tumat Shiva, Echad Tameh Tumat Arev. And it says, Ketzat Shnaim, right? How did this happen, right? How did they become impure? So the person, like I said, who actually touched the corpse is impure for seven days and must follow the procedure that I described before with the sprinkling of the water with the red heifer's ashes on day three and day seven. And the person that touches him or that person who touched the corpse directly but is not in direct contact right now, so... He saw him later, he touched him, he may have hugged him. Tame Tumat Arev. He is only impure until the evening. At first glance, reading through a halot can actually feel like reading a medical textbook. It's factual, descriptive, discussions about patients or people devoid of their humanity, separating the body from the person, i.e., two people become impure from a corpse, one becomes impure for seven days, and one becomes impure until evening. But let's take a deeper dive and ask questions of our Mishnah and try to understand the context and thus the definitions of Tuma and Tahara, impurity and purity. When you think about it, compared to the times of the Talmud, we live in a period when we're really divorced from death, where people typically die in hospitals or in palliative care centers. Of course, that is changing with more and more people choosing to die at home through hospice care. But at the times of the Talmud, where life expectancies were shorter, death was a common experience and most likely occurred in your ohel, in your home. I imagine that the people that are impure in our Mishnah's case are the loved ones, the close family and friends of the person that died, that surrounded his or her bedside. They all now experience a change in their status of their personal selves after that person dies. The Mishnah identifies them as either acquiring a higher form of Tuma if they've touched the corpse that needs seven days before they can be purified, or having contact that requires a shorter course of purification. Perhaps they touched the person who was in contact with the dead body, perhaps hugging them and providing them comfort. Each person, each case, though, would require a ritual procedure to bring them back to the state of purity. But what does Tuma and Tahara really mean? Rav Avi Weiss, co-founder of Yeshivat Maharat and founder of the Hebrew Institute of Riverdale, asks us to reconsider the ideas of Tuma and Tahara in an article he authored entitled The Meaning of Tuma. 
He quotes Rav Aaron Soloveitchik, and he writes that Tahara means that which is everlasting and never deteriorates. Tumah, then, is the antithesis of Tahara, which stands for mortality or finitude, that which withers away. Rav Weiss writes, A dead body is considered a primary source of Tumah, for it represents decay in the highest sense, not only because the corpse itself is in the process of decaying, but also because the living individual who comes into contact with the corpse usually suffers emotionally and endures a form of spiritual fragmentation, a counterpart of the corpse's physical falling away. For Rav Avi Weiss, Tumah then is a spiritual loss of some kind, a fragmentation upon encountering the dead. Rav Shimshon Raphael Hirsch, the 19th century great Torah scholar and leader, defines Tahara as the moral freedom of the soul, even as it is ensconced in an earthly body. Tahara affirms, or purity affirms, that even on earth the soul is not bound by the forces of nature and is completely free. Tumah, then, reflects the idea that we are governed by natural forces alone. Seeing someone die, being in the presence of a corpse, a Jew might relinquish his or her infinite spirit. He has entered or she has entered a state of Tumah as she or he perceives God's fundamental truth to be only an illusion. Writes Rabbi Rafal Shimshon Hirsch in his commentary on Parshat Chukat in Bamidbar. The whole purpose of the laws of Tumah and Tara is to negate this idea. These laws confront the demoralizing illusion of physical unfreedom with the divine guarantee that man does indeed have moral freedom. It does not teach man to close his eyes and ignore the physical subjection, which is part of his nature. Rather, it shows man in the whole contrast of his nature, for he is mortal, and at the same time, he is immortal. He is fettered, and at the same time, he is free. He is endowed with physical powers along with moral powers. Do not be misled by the sight of corpses and of death. Become free, become immortal, not despite, but along with all those aspects of your existence that are mortal and physically fettered. Be the immortal master of your mortal body. In the midst of Tum'ah, preserve your tahara. As we read through these Mishnayot, and as you learn them, there's a fundamental recognition that these end-of-life experiences are deeply painful, and for many people call into question their faith in God and their fundamental beliefs. Tuma and Tahara provides a ritual way to mark these transitions and bring ourselves back to reset oneself to help people find their way back to God. Tuma and Tahara reflect the fact as the 11th century Rabbi Bachaya ben Pakure states, Life and death dwells together, clings together, and cannot be separated. So I ask that while you read through these Mishnayot, you see the life behind these halachas, the opportunities to reset oneself, the tahara behind the tumah. I want to finish with a story. Recently, an ailing aunt of mine suffering with a severe respiratory condition was finally admitted to a palliative care center as she now requires 24 hours of nursing care and increased levels of oxygen that she cannot obtain at home. Her son, my cousin Jordan Abraham, a very talented musician, 
brought his klezmer band to the palliative care unit to perform for her. As she is very ill, he quickly invited her closest friends and neighbors, members of their synagogue community, and very soon 65 people RSVP'd and attended in the middle of the afternoon last week to enjoy this very special concert and celebrate my aunt's life. My frail aunt in her wheelchair, attached to her oxygen, sat in the middle of this room while circles of her closest friends danced around her to the beautiful music that was played, the beautiful klezmer music. My cousin Jordan jumped into the middle of the circle with his accordion to address his very ill mom and to thank her for all she had done for him. And this is what he said. He said, klezmer music is bittersweet because it represents life happy and sad. All the Jewish scales sit with dark and light, side by side always. And here in this building, it means more to me than it ever has before in this palliative care unit. As we sit here and thank my mother for everything she has done for me and for all of us, I want you to sing with me. And they all sang together, including my aunt, Enigun, a beautiful Jewish melody. So is the same with Ohalot. It brings into sharp relief Tuma and Tahara. Tahara, the idea of that which is everlasting, of feeling morally free, with Tuma, the idea that one can be spiritually fragmented and subject to physical forces, life with death and death with life, and how a sacred ritual of purification helped Jews so long ago transition from heartache to hope. Thank you so much. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.